1: Welcome to the Football by Football podcast. Welcome back to the FBF podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host, joined again by Brady Quinn. Brady, we have got a big week, a meaty week of uh, stuff to talk about because now things have flushed out with the playoff. We know who's going where. We know all the bowl games. Uh, As those things draw near, we'll we'll dive into those a little more deeply. We'll just stick here with the semifinal and talk about those two big games. Uh, But we also want to spend a lot of time on today's show, a little different than past weeks, and really go hard on the Heisman thing because that's coming up this weekend. Uh, We're going to get to find out who wins that thing, and we now know who our three finalists are. Uh, and then we're also at the other end of the show, at the tail end of this thing, we really wanted to get into the coaching carousel because this is something that has been an unprecedented amount of change this year. And as a player, and this being sort of a player-driven show, we wanted to talk about how some of those changes affect players, both from losing your coach, your position coach, your OC, your DC, all those kinds of things. Uh, big show today, Brady. Uh, great to have you on. How's it going? It's
0: going well. Just trying to keep up with all the coaching changes. The guy's getting dismissed getting fired getting hired there's a lot of moving parts at this particular time of the year now that some team season's over and then others are kind of looking to prepare for the bowl game but those universities they have to start moving on that because recruiting that becomes the biggest thing right now that's the biggest they thing. want yes. the staff the staff set and they want to get those guys out there uh, on the trails recruiting for them
1: well we'll start here with the games themselves and we all obviously realize yeah, with all the championship week action that we had a week ago, uh, that stuff has now fleshed itself out. Uh, and we know that Clemson advances with a very controversial issue. <laughs> they kind of finished there with UNC. Uh, Oklahoma, they were sitting and waiting. They stay at the four spot, which I think a lot of us sort of predicted would happen. Uh, Michigan State goes ahead and, and nudges Iowa with basically a goal line reach. Uh, running play there. And Alabama advances uh, pretty impressively, I think, against Florida. So there's our four. We know that Clemson now faces Oklahoma. We know that Alabama now faces Sparty. Uh anything there that's particularly intriguing and how those those four shaped out and how the matchups lie.
0: You know, I think it's just gonna be interesting to see, you know, how the lack of, you know, playing this past week affects Oklahoma on December thirty-first when they take on Clemson. You know, they're the only team of the four that didn't have to play in the championship game, and they had that extra week. So that can either play to their benefit as they're able to get healthier and they're able to uh, maybe prep a little bit more and don't have to worry about an injury to a player here or there. Or it, it could play to their detriment in the fact that, you know, it'll be such a long period of time since they last played. Maybe that actually hurts them a little bit because they were one of the teams, Matt, that I really felt like was the hottest team in college football and really built a lot of momentum. Uh, you're working through the, the month of November in particular.
1: I look at uh, the Michigan State-Alabama thing, and I'm pretty fired up for that game uh, for, from this from this point of view. I actually am of the mind. Uh, I'm, I'm shoehorning them back into the conversation, but I really enjoyed that game with Iowa and Michigan State. I know there were a lot of people out there with, that were bored with the first half because it wasn't a big high-scoring game, but it was really sort of a slug it out kind of game. And I like that that style, I think, couldn't go toe-to-toe with a team like Alabama. I think Alabama is better at that style than most people but I don't think you'd see a discernibly different contest if it were Iowa or if it were Michigan State. Uh, Derrick Henry is going to be fun to watch him get stopped, but Michigan State has some great defensive players, especially Shaleek Calhoun. He's a guy I've been talking about for three years. I love to watch the guy play. He's very disruptive. I think he can mess up a game. So I'm looking forward to that and that it'll be a little bit like the challenge that Florida brought to Alabama as far as just front seven talent. Uh, but they also have an offense, I think, that's obviously a notch up on Florida. So I think that draws the game a little bit more closely. Uh, I think it's going to be fun. Alabama's defense looks sick right now. I mean, I we we were able to pump up Florida, and that was really sort of the, the only thing that they had to hang their hat on was was the talent they had on their defense going into that game. But it often overshadows, I think, how well Alabama's defense is playing. And you touched on a couple of those guys in your preview column. Uh, anyone on Alabama's defense, i I pick out Shalik, obviously, on the – on the Sparty side, anything with Alabama you think that could cause some similar problems for Connor cook and his guys?
0: Well, really the the big boys up front. And I wouldn't say there's like one in particular, uh, because they all do such a good job of really getting off the ball, getting penetration in the backfield and kind of getting easy picks for guys in the secondary, whether it's Eddie Jackson at the strong safety position, who I think will be a good matchup on Josiah price, the tight end for Michigan state or Mika Fitzpatrick, the nickelback. He did a tremendous job as well. And these guys, Matt, they're really dangerous. When they get turnovers, they're really looking to score points. They've did it a number of times this season and really turned the momentum in games. And then the linebacker position, arguably one of the best linebackers in the country, probably next to Jalen Smith, who just won the buckets, um, you-, you would have Re- uh, Reggie Ragland. I mean, he's running all over the field. He's a tremendous player. Uh, he's the guy who I think is going to come up with just a ton of tackles and have a monster game in this matchup.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to see how this thing flushes out. Obviously, I'm of the mind right now that your one seed might actually be the weakest of the four teams. And and I'm and that's just me sort of projecting and having sort of a a thing in the back of my head, an itch, I guess, that tells me that the ACC might still be closer to where it was a year ago. Uh, Deshaun Watson's obviously a very exciting player. They do have talent on the team. It's not that so much, but I felt like they were a toe-to-toe match with the UNC team that I don't, that I would think would be inferior to most of the other three that that, that sit in the four right now. So, I'm more than willing to have that sort of perception blown up, and sometimes those things happen. in the on the big stage, they'll come out there and put a good game game out there, and you'll you'll find talent in places I hadn't noticed at a tight end position or a third wide receiver, or a kick returner, or, you know, a, a third corner that makes a play. It, it, these things tend to happen in the big games where. You illuminate a kid because, in part, and maybe this is something you you don't pick up on at home as much, but there's this big break between when guys get done playing this regular season until they go to the game. In this event, it's only a couple weeks because we're not talking about bowl season so much as the semifinal. But there's always a little bit of of end-of-season growth that I think it's hard to account for because in a lot of these situations, a lot of these top-tier teams are playing really super-talented really super young people, you know, playing sophomores, in some instances playing freshmen that just were, you know, your five-star recruit guys, especially in the instance of a team like Alabama. So uh, it's its something that I, you know, I, I always feel like when I flip on these bowl games or the, the semifinal for the playoff, which we've only seen the second iteration of here, but there's always a guy or two or three that jumps out of the womb. And I think a year ago we knew all about Ezekiel Elliott. We did at Ohio State and how talented he was. And he had a nice year but he didn't do anything in in, in the lead-up that looked anything like his national championship performance. It was disgusting, and it was like, whoa, I knew he was good. I didn't know he was this good. So I I think in the event of sort of Clemson and and Alabama and some of these teams that we've seen glimpses of, I'm interested to see who's this sort of rise-to-the-top kind of guy that might end up deciding the contest.
0: Yeah, I'll be curious to see. I mean, if you're talking about Clemson, I think one guy to keep your – keep your eye on is Artavius Scott, the wide receiver. You know Him and Deshaun Watson have kind of grown better and better as the season has gone on this year, and I personally feel like that was a bit, because of the offensive line up front, wasn't playing as well at the beginning of the year. They continue to improve. we had so many new guys up front, and as the protection improved, so did the connection between Scott and Watson, and, and I actually think Clemson's a much better team uh, than they're giving credit right now. I actually think the weakest team after watching the, the matchup versus Iowa, I, I just I think there's better athletes, better talent on Clemson, Oklahoma and Alabama than what Michigan State has. I think they're a physical team. I think they can play um, that slowed down Temple style of play, but I just think they'd get exposed uh, versus a team like Clemson, who's been extremely tough this season. I mean, look, they're the only team that's undefeated for a reason, and they haven't necessarily played just a cupcake schedule. I mean, they beat Notre Dame, they beat Florida State. I I think UNC is a much better team than people give them credit as well, so Um, You know, if if you're making that case, uh, I think it'll be a great matchup. And these should be fun games. And let me explain really quick, too, for the listener, how it works uh, with the semifinals and the national championship games. So every year, uh, these games rotate. That's why they call them the New Year's Six. You get, uh, you know, the semifinal games played uh, this year on New Year's Eve, and you get some played uh, on on New Year's Day. And those semifinal games, then after they're done, which this year, it's the Orange Bowl. Uh, which is the Orange Bowl, excuse me, the Orange Bowl, the Cotton Bowl. So how it works is whoever the number one team is, they are the home team, and they actually get to play in either the Cotton Bowl or the Orange Bowl, when you're talking about the semifinal round, whichever one is closer to their school. So in this right, case, yep. uh, Clemson, yeah, Clemson's obviously in South Carolina. They're going to play in the Orange Bowl. And then that number two seed would get uh, the latter of that. Now, that's where we've talked about before. I wrote a column about they were being a bit of a scuttlebutt because Alabama was sitting there at two, having to play in Dallas in the Cotton Bowl for the semifinal versus Oklahoma, who was number three. And that wouldn't be right. very fair considering, you know, their fans are only a, a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour drive away from Dallas up in Norman. And and I right, am, right, not- am I right, Brady?
1: Am I right, Brady? To, sorry to interrupt, but am I right? that doesn't not that Hasn't there been a traditional game that's played in the Cotton Bowl by Oklahoma and Texas? Isn't that where they used to play it? Didn't they go to the old Cotton Bowl or something like that? Maybe I'm way off yeah, on used, that. Yeah, they
0: used to. Have, yeah, no, they used to have an annual game there, uh, and I'm not exactly sure if they still do. But in the context of this matchup, I think that's probably why you saw them slip down, uh, because they thought okay. it would be a little bit unfair. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure they'll run into this issue again at some point because this deal obviously goes on until you know 2025. So there's there's going to be some right. issues that the playoff committee's got to navigate over that period of time. Uh, and then the, then the national championship game is again at another site of that New Year's Six but obviously um, it's not repeated at any one of the semifinal sites. So this year it will be out in Glendale and it will be the same venue as the Fiesta Bowl obviously just another week later.
1: Okay, well that flushes that out. That's helpful. The refresher is always good. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to bring up here briefly and I did not want to turn it into one of these kind of shows. I understand, as you mentioned, 2025 is a contract. Most of the things I'm about to say probably irrelevant that they'll ever move to eight. Uh, but I bring up this point uh, in that something sort of occurred to me as I was working FCS playoff games this weekend, I was at JMU in Virginia this weekend, working their game with Colgate and the FCS playoffs obviously have a much different format. Uh, And one of the things that we had always discussed on, on BTN in regards to how, you know, the rationale for why this was going to be tough to move from four to eight, you know, and I think, and again, I I understand my timing and bringing up the eight is probably not great because this is a year where they're, they're generally pleased. You know, they got the four that, and there's not much controversy on the fifth. There's none really because they got their champions. And unfortunately the champion of the pack is a two loss team. So that makes it an easier conversation. Uh, But in light of working some FCS stuff and going through their playoff system, I, I was reminded of the old conversation that that Long had brought up, uh, uh, I think, a year ago when we were first sort of talking about this. And they talked to us about the difficulty in having a three-weekend draw for these huge games. I mean, that's obviously TV-based money, but there was a fear with even some of your great traveling teams. Like, say, if for some reason, Nebraska was in it. Nebraska is one of the best traveling teams in the country. Ohio State travels really well as but in some of these instances, if you were to propose eight, that means three games potentially for for the th- two teams are going to get three games uh, if they make it to the final. And the, the concern was a, a college base that's generally all based around living in Columbus, Ohio or in the Chicago area or Indianapolis or something like that and, and making them maybe potentially travel once to to Florida, another time to Texas, and a third time to the Rose Bowl or, or, or something like that, depending on how things shook out in a general year. The, the part about the FCS thing that, that sort of rung with me was like, you know what, they could use a blended style and still get their eight. They could easily, for the first round game, remove this from the bowl system, which I know would be hard, but I think you don't have to give up the bowl system. You can have everything you currently do, but just simply add in one round where the home team hosts, uh, and that's that's really how the FCS does it. You win your division, and I think it keeps this whole notion of winning your conference and how important it is and how they want that to be a huge marker in the decision who gets to go. You win your conference, you're hosting a first-round game. I mean, it, and then in part, it feels a little bit like the NFL, which you touched on last week in your in your college football playoff column, where, you know, the, that, that's how they put the emphasis on there. You're, you really, really need to win that conference because you are in a home game. And I guess the idea of you know Alabama hosting in the first round against say Notre Dame what a huge uh, what a huge advantage that would be and it's an earned advantage but I just don't like the idea that you're no you're not in the tournament I, I like the idea of weighting them heavily in the favor of the people that won those but because we only have four uh, and there's five power conferences somebody's left out and, and beyond just any argument for Stanford or anything like that or even Notre Dame because they've got two losses and I think they've They've earned themselves out of the four. Ohio State's the one that sort of sits in my craw because we're talking about a team that has a worse loss a year ago with a one-loss record to Virginia Tech than they do this season with Michigan State. So it's very difficult for me to rationalize in my head why they're not in the tournament. Maybe it's a worse seed because they, they clearly didn't advance to the championship game, but it's just because of timing. I hate that timing sort of keeps them out of the tournament. I, I don't like I don't mind the idea of timing making them a worse seed making them have to travel to say South Carolina or something along those lines but I think you could use a blended model where the first round game is just a hometown game on campus which really helps those home fan bases and and you know rel- relieves that concern of a big great TV game where it's, you got a packed house and, and that's all they really care about uh, so you have nice scene shots, <laughs> which which we know from TV. But I really think that could resolve it. I think the one thing I'll say here quick, Ben, I know I'm rambling on is the school consideration is part of it. You know, half of the kids, potentially two schools anyway, travel three times. put it this way. you go and play in those games, you earn your school millions of dollars. I've been in those introductory biology classes. i've been been in those you know, criminal justice second series classes, uh, English lit. The world is not going to come to an end if you have to have an exam delayed for a week or two. They're providing so much for the university, some flexibility, and they do this in the real world, real world too, not just for college athletes. In the real world, if I've got another job or I've got travel or something like that, colleges are now catering to people. They have half the classes online at some of these places where they don't want you to get out of your jammies to go, to go pass a course. So I think this could be done. I think this was the weekend that sort of hammered it home to me that if they wanted to do this, there's really no excuse not to.
0: Look, the, the committee wants the conference championship games to essentially be um, their their quarterfinals is what they that's, that's what they'd like to be.
1: Yeah. So yeah.
0: the issue with this is you have four of the Power Five conferences who actually play these conference championship games at venues that are close for both fan bases. So they're essentially accomplishing what you're talking about for at least one of these matchups. So I think that kind of solved that issue right there, at least in my mind. And the only issue is you have this team in the Big 12 who doesn't play a conference championship game because the NCAA states that they have to have 12 teams in the conference and two divisions in order to play a conference championship game. Now, what's interesting is this past week, the Big 12 and the ATC commissioners got together and they actually submitted. Uh, A clause that states they want to deregulate the manner in which the NCAA can then dictate how these conferences can play for the conference championships, how they can determine who are their conference champions. The irony to all of it is it was blocked by the Big Ten commissioner, Jim Delaney, who (laughs) didn't say that he did it for any other reason other than he wanted more clarification as to what exactly their criteria was going to be for each of these conferences. So they weren't just kind of making things up and everyone was kind of caught off guard with how they would end up uh, making their conference champion. He wanted it to be uniform amongst all power five. Now, whether that's true or not with what he says is one thing, because if you go back to last year, the Big Ten was the benefactor of their conference championship game because they leapfrogged with Ohio State into that number four spot over both Baylor and TCU, the co-conference champions. So, I find it just kind of ironic that Jim Delaney would be the guy to block uh, the Big (laughs) Twelve, trying to possibly have a conference championship game at some point. So the big the big issue is they'll vote on that. I think January thirteenth to sixteenth they've got meetings. They'll vote on that. We'll see what all comes about. Delaney again stated that he was just more doing it so he could strike up the conversation and they they could have a specific example of what they're talking about Um, because it, you know, again, however you want to go about doing it, whether you want to create divisions. Uh, in the Big 12 and all that. Uh, right. I, I think, you know, right now, the for, the format has kind of played out to help the Big 12 this year because they didn't have to play or they didn't have to risk playing another tough game for the Big 12 championship. Uh, one of the things that I found interesting that you kind of touched on was, if I, if I don't lose my train of thought, um, just the overall <laughs> idea. When I, you know, you, you touched on it kind of earlier talking about um, the players and studies and all that kind of thing. You know, during this time, They have one week of finals, but then you really have it off.
1: Right.
0: If if you did extend it another week, you would essentially, all you'd be doing is taking up actually more of their winter break and their off time. It wouldn't necessarily be classes anyways. So even the academic argument really doesn't fit uh, because a lot of those kids are going to be pretty much done with that semester. And there's only a few schools that have quarters uh, anymore at this point. So I don't necessarily see that being something that would hold them up. Um, And then the last thing is, you know, as far as families traveling to these bowl games, et cetera, and having to go to one more game, you know, the universities, and especially the ones in the Power Five, they have these discretionary funds that they use, Matt, and they actually can use these funds to bring out parents, excuse me, to games and and different things of that sort. And they they use that discretionary fund to help out players and their families they see one another. Sometimes they have to be uh, extenuating circumstances, or, or there's something extra, uh, you know, extreme. Other times, it, it's not, it's not so bad. Um, you know, for example, I was just at the National Football Foundation event, and Josh Rosen was flown in with this discretionary fund by UCLA. He was their outstanding freshman quarterback this year to speak at one of the events, and that was the fund that they actually used to then, um, right? You know, pay for that trip. So. Look, there, there's kind of a lot of leeway when it comes to that. So I don't even think that would be a roadblock or, or that would be an issue. And then the last thing that you touched on, I, I was able to kind of catch up with my train of thought there. When you look <laughs> at Island, with their one loss this year as opposed to last year, the yep. reason why they're penalized more this year is because they lost to a conference champion and opponent, right? You go back to last year, I think because they scheduled Virginia Tech years in advance, because they knew that would be a tough matchup, you know Virginia Tech usually has a pretty strong program. With you know what what used to be with Frank Beamer as head coach, um, I think they got brownie points for scheduling a tough game, losing it. They kind of understood the circumstance with the quarterback situation when Jackson yeah. Miller got hurt, JC Barrett's for a start. I think all those things kind of added up for them, and uh, it didn't hurt them quite as bad because it was that non-conference game that they scheduled. That was one of the tougher ones. So um, I think that was the difference too. When you look at Ohio State this year compared to last year they didn't have the championship title and they also lost to a conference opponent as opposed to a tougher or a tough non-conference opponent where you kind of get brownie points just for scheduling them in the first place
1: i get it and uh i don't actually disagree with the rationale i think in each of these cases we'll probably have a pretty good pretty good you know pretty good way of sort of understanding why it fleshed out and maybe i would uh, thumbs up or thumbs down each one i guess my thought is just sort of Sports stripped to the bone and the reason we're going to call someone a national champion, because I believe that they've now proven they're the best in the country. And I think this is one of those oddball years. But just because I know the level of talent uh, with like a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, JT Barrett as a starter at quarterback, uh, a guy like Joey Bosa, who might be one of the best defensive players in all college football, uh, largely the same roster as a year ago, other than two or three or four faces on Ohio State. I know what they could do, uh, and I'm not certain that whoever ends up winning this, they'll have rightfully won it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's, it won't be legitimate or anything like that. But I think the point of any tournament, the NFL and the NBA and soccer, or anything like that, is to make sure that you have the best one. At eight, there's no question. I don't think we, I've, we've clearly never had an NFL champion who wasn't possibly the best you know I mean there was no like team that didn't get in the wild card that would have won the whole thing It just that that doesn't happen because you're far enough removed where the talent separates itself this is a year where I mean we could even look at Stanford I, I know it would be a sort of a Cinderella story but if they were sat there as your eighth seed or seventh seed or something comparable the way the way they looked offensively a week ago it look pretty sick, and I, I would love to see that matchup in sort of a contrasting styles kind of situation. The reason I, I guess I always push for this idea is just I don't – it'll always be four spots for five conferences. Maybe in, in sort of a dream scenario, uh, <laughs> obviously you would eliminate all these very historical conferences, and that's never going to happen. But if they had reorganized when they came up with this playoff idea to four power conferences, I think that would completely change the story. and All of a sudden I would say, you know what? screw my 18 playoff thing but if we had these made up new you know, like the american conference it's kind of this new reconfigured thing if there were four new reconfigured things or, or one of the power fives went away and you know maybe the pack and the big 12 combined in part and part of the big 12 went to the big 10 and it became you know whatever 15 or 16 whatever the hell it would be but if that were the case but until that's the case there's always going to be five and four there's always going to be five and four and there's always going to be situations this, this year it's Ohio state. And again, I agree with your rationale for why they're out and why last year was a little different than this, but we'll have to have these conversations every year. And I, I just would hate to think that you sat on the best team in college football is sitting on a couch. Um, all right. But Hey, I spent way too much time on that. Apologies, but hopefully uh, we got to some interesting stuff there. Next thing I wanted to jump on was, and you wrote on this for football by football this week, uh, this idea of the coaching carousel. And uh, when you first sent in a column and I, I'm, I'm taking a peek at this thing and I'm like, you know what is, has it really been uh, sort of the premise here being that this has been a crazy year for coaching changes and there's been so much. And I'm like, yeah, I remember a few and you know, Oh yeah. Mark Rick. Oh yeah. Okay. The the USC situation. Oh yeah. That da, da, da you know, I'm, I'm going through and then I'm realizing, Oh yeah. And then BYU lost coach. And then this, and then that, and I get down the list and realize, we're like twenty in here and, and some of these situations aren't real obvious changes. Obviously the, the Rick situation in Georgia where the nine and three is a complete, you know, uh, surprise. Uh but I, I work uh, a lot of the games that I do during the year, Mac games. Uh so I work in that conference that's almost like a transitory conference for a lot of the coaches. Campbell this year from Toledo, I believe, took uh a blanking on which job he took, but he, he did uh I think he took the Syracuse job, did he not? Maybe. Yeah, no, the, yeah, the, the, the Bowling sure. Green coach took the Syracuse job, right?
0: Babers took the uh, Syracuse job. Matt Campbell, Campbell took to... the um, – I can't think of Hold on, give me one second. I can't think off the top of my head, but I'll – Okay, well, while, yeah, while, while you
1: – yeah, while you think of that, I guess just the major point being, I think some of these conferences – the one I work in quite a bit, works as almost like a placement league. A lot of guys go there with sort of this idea that they can prove themselves at the MAC, which is sort of a mid-major, and then move them move themselves up. But you got in really deep, deep into sort of the philosophy behind the the elevated amount of changes and what that affects players, schools, coaching philosophies, all those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, and by the way, Matt Campbell took the Iowa State job uh, after
1: Paul. There you was, go. Uh, I should know it. Wow. Here.
0: Uh, no, no no worries. Yeah, so the the philosophy, and it really was sparked yeah. by something that I read uh, by head coach Bill Snyder, uh, because, you know, he's arguably is is responsible for the greatest turnaround in college football history there at Kansas State, and he's a guy who talks about the fact that uh, he came because of the people to Kansas State, he stayed because of the people at Kansas State, and he came back because of the people at Kansas State, and I thought that was interesting when he, when he mentions that quote, because seems so fitting and he's one of the few and obviously because he's more of an old-school coach kind of reminds me of like a Joe Paterno or a Joe Pa, where he was right. there forever he probably wasn't even you know making anywhere near to the same salary as the likes of an urban Meyer or Nick Saban but he is just as valuable to the Kansas State fan base and community as any coach that they'd be able to bring in or anyone after him they can bring in so I thought that was interesting Uh, And then that kind of led me to think, you know, there's a lot of changes going on this year and why. And I think it's in part because these coaches, whether they're head coaches or even offensive coordinators now, they're getting compensated so well. You know, these seven-figure deals that there's a lot more pressure from the athletic directors and the boards of regents that these coaches have to perform very quickly, almost similar to the NFL. And it struck me that, you know, it kind of puts the coaches then in a difficult position because now – When they look at their team they have to say do i have enough talent to win running what i want to run whatever that is i think i think most coaches would like to be able to run the football most coaches would like to be able to do the things that they've always been taught growing up uh but that's just not the case anymore because they don't necessarily always have the talent to do it so they have to run these spread systems they have to simplify things they have to try to find ways of winning now putting up points now to show success to justify their compensation and that's, you know, kind of a product of of what's happening a little bit. And sometimes in those spread systems, it's hit or miss, man, because, Matt, you being a former defensive player, you can be on the field for a long, long time. And you (laughs) see with a team like Texas Tech, for example, they put up a ton of points, but, man, they struggle defensively. And you could say, well, they don't have a ton of talent. Well, maybe they would have better talent or maybe they would perform better if they weren't on the field for, you know, 80 plays a game. If they're on the field for 55 or 60 plays, maybe they'd be performing better. So um, that becomes kind of part of the issue, right, is then the style of play they have to, you know, play with because of the situation they're putting because of these big money contracts. And then there's always the toughest part is how genuine are the coaches when they take some of these jobs? Are they using it as a stepping stone? Are they just trying to get paid all they can before retirement or before they get out of coaching altogether? Uh, so they'll just be willing to take whatever dollar amount. Those things always start to come to mind, and, and I get it's no different than anyone else who's out there in the working world trying to prepare for retirement, but those people out there doing other jobs aren't walking into living rooms promising this you know, father and mother of this child that they're going to develop their kid, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, and help them get an education, and then all of a sudden leave after a year or two uh, because they want to take a different job and all that. So. I just I found it kind of interesting how there's so much you know change and turmoil and really this year, I don't even want to say it's been an outlier. I just think it's been brought to the attention because of you know guys like Mark Rick, who had such a great track record uh, at Georgia it was uh, what one hundred and forty one and fifty one or something ridiculous like thousands win lost He got fired at the nine and three um, I, you know sometimes that all of a sudden brings the light, the fact that there are some really, really good coaches who are getting fired. And then, and then just to kind of capitalize and make the point, you look at Les Miles, he had a, he had a $20 million buyout. And so they're trying to orchestrate this <laughs> way of fire. Right. And then they realize that they can't end up you know, raising all the money they need to. He has that, you know, nice win versus Texas and to finish the season. And they're like, all right, well, we, I guess we botched this whole situation and, and trying to figure out a way of how to get him out. And it's in part because of that big money contract, he couldn't get fired. Um, so it's just an it's interesting time right now in college football with all the coaching changes and everything going on, but also in part because of the dollar value. It's going up, the university is making more money, the coaches are making more money. The only people who aren't, Matt, are the players.
1: I was trying to think in my head, how could you, how could you guarantee that some of these promises are kept? Uh, is there any way that you would feel would be fair to restrict movement of coaches? Say, and I think in a manner not to hurt them, but to actually help them. Uh, and uh, and my point is, you're sort of touching on this idea of they they get you know they overlook the idea of development in in lieu of just trying to win now, right? If you wanted to ensure that they're able to develop, any kind of NCAA rule or something like that that would say, hey, any new coach hire has to be guaranteed X amount of years because that's how long it takes to. In, you know to, to do a system now again you could have like your your uh, the way the NFL does it your uh, conduct detrimental or some you know like a Sarkeesian uh, like a Sark situation where something crazy happens and you just the firing is is, is warranted but I hate to see these like two year stints where you know how hard it is to go recruit and and, and you know get the right people in get your staff set uh, really the turnover of the last guys guys and all that kind of stuff because college is so much different than the NFL. I think it would almost be interesting to see just from like a Petri dish type situation, if you could insure coaches four years. I mean, maybe that's too aggressive and maybe, you know, obviously your alumni would would never stand for like that because they just want people to move on because they are being paid so much money. But I I just uh, is there any way to restrict movement that would be fair as a short way to, to ask my question?
0: No, I I don't think so. I mean, what the NCAA has done is they've allowed kids not to be penalized. Um, if a coach right, does leave do. or if it's fired, they get transferred without having to sit out a year. So that's, that's been a nice adjustment to the rule, but I mean, you kind of said it, it, you know, all of a sudden you set them up for a four-year guaranteed contract. It kind of loops the school. In. And what happens if this coach does something um, outrageous and abuses a player, right. you know, physically or, or verbally or whatever. So, these these sorts of things um, I think would be hard to kind of figure out a way of doing it. And and unfortunately they could, the only thing they could really do is try to put some sort of provision in their contract. So they have to mandate it uh, and demand it uh, on a year to year basis, unless there's, you know, some sort of, again, ridiculous circumstance. So I I don't see that being the case. I think what they've done is just tried to help out the player from being able to change universities. If he feels the need to.
1: Well, the reason, I guess the thought popped into my head was in the, in the, It's not a great off-the-cuff kind of solution, but I guess in my head, I'm thinking some of the stuff that happens at the college level, we're now seeing filter up. Uh, And uh, you mentioned the spread offenses. I think that's a big one where, especially in these places that would like to take advantage of the real estate, take advantage of all that space that's out there in a football field and, and kind of do this sort of tempo stuff where you just simply spread everyone out. Route trees real simple. Uh, Reads are real simple. You're just trying to take advantage of space, and the guys don't learn a lot of the intricacies of the game. Uh, I've heard this this gripe from from coaches that I know uh, about the development level of offensive linemen and the way it's different now than it was years and years ago. Because a lot of these spread alignment just don't get the work. You know, it's just pass pro every down. You know, <laughs> and it's bad, and it's easy pass pro because it's not five and six and seven man rushes. It's four man rush each time. So an uncovered lineman that's going to spend 75 percent of his snaps helping someone else and then he goes to it and he's got all the height weight attributes and speed size all that stuff and he goes to an nfl combine And it looks like he hasn't played football before like he doesn't know like the real basic stuff never pulled never done you know down blocks climb into second level against full boxes and a lot of this stuff so it's like an underdeveloped player now uh they can they can figure out a way to help him win quickly as you mentioned but you go into the nfl and some of these teams want to want to do running game and because they don't have the ability to have a lot of contact practices because of all the changes of the collective bargaining agreement up there. Uh, you just never really learn it, and there's a lot of ragged play. And you know, it'd be it'd be nice if coaching stability at the collegiate level helped drive the the want to 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 teach those skills again and to integrate some of that some of that style back into the game. I, I, you look at the University of Iowa, and obviously, it sounds like I've been pom-pomming for them throughout this, but they're actually very old school style, because in part, I think that's the kind of athlete they get, but they also churn out a ton of NFL offensive line. So I think it's, there's sort of a give and take there. Uh, well, anyway, it's, that was a a super tangent, but uh, the one thing we did want to hit on here as we sort of exit our way out the show is the Heisman race. Uh, and obviously you're someone who's an expert on this subject. You were a finalist. You've been through this process. Uh, how do you see, see this thing flushing out? I think Derrick Henry goes in with a really, really strong case. We have a possibility now of actually having a running back winner. Deshaun Watson uh, had a nice ACC championship game and I think put himself right back in the conversation. Makes it for a little tougher pull of the lever. And the wild card, which I think a lot of people are starting to catch on to because as you've mentioned throughout the year, a lot of people don't see (laughs) Christian McCaffrey much because his games are at 11 p.m. Eastern. Uh, A lot of people saw that ACC championship game and a lot of people went, oh, who the hell is this kid? Uh, so I know some of the Heisman voters and I've had some conversations with them offline and I, I think I have a sense of where some of them are going, a couple anyway, uh, and it's a surprise pick. So how do you, Brady, see this thing fleshing out? Is there, uh, is there some clarity in where you think this is going to go or, or is it going to be a question right down to the end?
0: Well, let me first say this. I feel like there was a couple players who I really would have liked to see make the event, um, and, and I'll try to explain to people how that process works. So, Baker Mayfield, who statistically speaking uh, has had a phenomenal year, uh, actually a a better year, if I'm not mistaken, passing. He's got 33 touchdown passes to six interceptions uh, to Deshaun Watson's 30 touchdown passes to 11. So, uh, if you're going to compare in that sense, uh, he actually has more production in one less game than Deshaun Watson from a passing standpoint and his team is playing in the college football playoff. I would have loved to see him have the opportunity to go because I think he's deserved it this year. Then Keenan Reynolds, you know, he put Navy in a position to
1: yep.
0: be in the top 25. You know, no position is, uh, you know, really cherished more than I think the quarterback position is triple option because he controls all the strings and everything he does, you know, has the career, um, you know, record for for rushing touchdowns. you know, got it over Monty Ball this year. And he represents everything that I think the Heisman trophy you'd want it to be about, right? The character and everything off the field right. that Keenan Reynolds represents uh playing Navy. So really wish those two would have had the opportunity to go. Uh but that being said, with the, the three that are going.
1: I'm sorry, I'm hey Brady, sorry to interrupt you. you. Brady, sorry sorry to interrupt you, but could could you tell people at home what what is the what's the criteria for how they end up with a number? I mean, why is it some years it's five, some years it's four, some years it's three.
0: So they, it's a point system, and how it works is depending on how many first-place votes, second-place votes, and third-place votes you get, they get this total uh, accumulated score. And if, for example, in this case, or this year's case, um, let's say Christian McCaffrey is number three, if his total yep. points are vastly different than Baker Mayfield's, then they essentially say, we're not going to spend the money or waste the money and time to bring in a fourth guy who's not even close to the other guys um okay. they usually try to make they usually try to make that case um, although you know I, it's it's weird like for example my junior year I finished fourth Matt Liner was third Vince Young was second Reggie Bush was one and if I'm not mistaken I had more first place votes than Matt Liner did um in that particular year but he had more total points and the discrepancy between him being third over me being third was more so but I thought that was kind of interesting and then my you know as far as in the next year getting to go Having only three guys, um, so to me, from what I what I understand, is it was more of a product of how much money they'd want to spend to bring these kids in. But the point okay. system does okay. play a factor as well. So, anyways, um, with each of these three guys, I'll try to kind of make a case for each because I don't think they're very deserving, and I honestly think Derrick Henry will win because of the brand of Alabama who he plays for, because he's been such a big part of them winning this year. But I don't think, I don't think he's most um, the most deserving of it, if if you want to go ahead and word it that way, at least not at this right. point in the season. The Heisman's given out before the national championship, so we'll see how everything ensues. But sure. uh, he has been really carrying that offense for Alabama. But I will say this: he's got a great O line, great wide receivers, and all that. Uh, but I mean, the past couple weeks he's carried about 90 times for 20 yards, <laughs> right. touchdowns. So it's, it's been ridiculous. So I, I think he very well could could be the guy who beat Herschel Walker's SEC single season rushing record. Uh, this season as well. Then you look at a guy like Christian McCaffrey. I don't know that anyone um, does a greater variety of things for the team and has as big of an impact. Look at the Pac-12 championship game. He ran for a touchdown, caught a touchdown, and threw a touchdown. I mean, that's Christian McCaffrey in a nutshell. (laughs) He's already does it all. I mean, he's in the return game as well. He topped Barry Sanders' you know, total yards this this, uh, season or in a single-season record, uh, which is absolutely remarkable when you think about that and how good Barry Sanders was, even though Sanders did do it in less games. But Christian McCaffrey is very deserving of it. They don't win the Pac-12 championship. I think they lose probably four games this season as opposed to two if he's not playing, um, thinking about the impact he had in a lot of their games. And then finally, the guy who I think would be most deserving, and I swear to you, Matt, it's not just because I'm a quarterback, um, but it's Deshaun Watson. Because to me, they're undefeated, the only undefeated team, and he's really been the guy that's that's led their offense, led their team the entire season long. There's no way – I think Clemson's even playing for the national championship or in the playoff without him. And you only need to look a year ago where Clemson was kind of in that position and then faltered once he got injured. Uh, they really yep. didn't have much of a chance once he was out. So, to me, I think he is really the most um, – Deserving of the award uh, based on the fact that his production. I talked about his passing versus Baker Mayfield. Well, he's also got 11, uh, 11 touchdown rushes this year. Almost right. 900 yards rushing, three uh, over 3,000 yards passing. He's had a very productive year. So I don't mean to demean his stats in that in that particular way, but uh, I just feel like he's you know, the guy touching the ball every play. He's had a huge impact uh, for Clemson and, and Dabo down there. Dabo Sweeney um, getting Clemson into the uh, college football playoffs.
1: So I, I'll just give my vote here uh, after hearing your argument and kind of having my own thoughts coming in. Uh, because, again, there is no such thing in my mind as a, as, a, as a win stat that you go for a person. But as you mentioned, Deshaun touches the ball every time and did help lead his team to an undefeated record. So I think that is, is the thing that helps me nudge it across. Uh, for Deshaun Watson, and, and beyond even just simply that point, I, I think something this you could speak to as much as anyone. But knowing that Deshaun was a candidate, he was considered a favorite going into the season. I think Trayvon Boykin at at, at TCU was someone I think a lot of people looked at as maybe the front runner, but obviously with all the injuries they had and he had he, even himself, that 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 candidacy sort of went by the wayside. But because Deshaun, I think, was in the conversation of top two, three, four kind of guys that would be there. It's so difficult to go wire to wire. It's so difficult to, to keep a candidacy intact and also to have your team keep winning as well. So because they had plenty of opportunities, as you mentioned, UNC being one of them, if you like that team and you know, Florida State or the Notre Dame game, handful of big primetime opportunities played well, well enough in all of those and then had the super product productivity both through the air and on the ground it's just really tough not to vote for that guy. It's not that Derrick Henry's case isn't Sterling. You'd, you'd have the hard time finding a better case for him. And I, I think Christian McCaffrey's, for the position he plays, I mean, Christian McCaffrey does sort of the old Desmond Howard kind of thing. I know he's not, uh, you know, doing exact same things, but the idea that he has the multiplicity, and that's something that I think sometimes moves the needle. But I think this just might be one of the years where when you have the quarterback candidate, And he went wire to wire. This isn't some surprise middle of November. Wow, this guy's compiling a lot of stats. Let's look a little harder at him. He's a guy who was there from day one. And uh, they continued to win, and he continued to play well, and he put a nice little cherry on top of it. I think that usually wins you the award.
0: Yeah, that's actually a great point, too, Matt. I mean, Look, I was a guy who was up for my senior year the entire season long. We lost early on uh, to Michigan, and that kind of knocked me down from – having the opportunity really to win it because in that particular year, even though my stats were better uh, than Troy Smith uh, when we went, I mean, he was undefeated. They were playing a national championship game uh, against uh, Florida, if I'm not mistaken. And
1: it was, you know,
0: it seemed like, you know, he was the guy that was most deserving because of that uh, back playing during the BCS era. So that's kind of, that's kind of how it works sometimes. And and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, uh, but I think, To me, just looking at the fact that Deshaun Watson dealt with all those expectations all year long, carried them on his shoulders, carried his team on his shoulders, and got his uh, team in a position to win it, I think he'd be the most deserving.
1: Hiccup free, as they say. All right, buddy, have a great week. That is all we got for this week's show. Take care. Enjoy your free weekend. No, No college football, no game to travel and work at, huh?
0: Well, I've actually got
1: NFL I'm covering.
0: Oh,
1: uh, you do. Matter. That's right. Time to transition, huh? Yeah,
0: yeah it's time to transition. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the calm I'm trying to do. A, I'm Jameis Winston. Uh, and Just his footwork and the transition he made from last year at Florida State to this year right now in Tampa. I think that could be the subtle difference of why he's been so much more effective and even accurate at the NFL level as opposed to last year.
1: Love it. And uh, I, he, I had him in the, the locks for this week, and uh, they came through. So I really uh, I've really enjoyed watching Jameis' uh, sort of ascension during the season. He's cut out a lot of those mistakes, and I love to see it. All right, buddy, have a great call, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. All right, sounds good. All right, that's all we have for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download, on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from guys like Brady, Brady Papengi, Pinga, Stanford Route, Rocky and myself, all of us, make sure you check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow if on Twitter at FB by FB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football Insight by football players. Hi,
0: Lucky. Night, Dusty.
1: Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.
0: Good night, Ned. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to chumpacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumpaCasino.com. No purchase necessary void we prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket?